The reading for the message this morning comes from two different locations. If you want to find your place in both locations and hold your place, the reading will be from Deuteronomy chapter 11 and then also a brief reading from the prophet Hosea in chapter 14. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, reading verse 10 through verse 15, said the Lord to his people in an exhortation to obedience. The Lord said, verse 10, for the land, whither thou goest in to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt, from which ye came out, where thou sowedest thy seed, and wateredest it with thy foot, as a garden of herbs. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. It's a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. It shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn, and thy wine, and thine oil, and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. And then the prophet Hosea spoke in chapter 14, beginning at verse 4 and reading through verse 9. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from them. I will be as a dew upon, unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, his smell as Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon, of course. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine, and the scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with irons? 
I've heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. For me is thy fruit found. Who is wise and he shall understand these things. Prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The just shall walk in them. The transgressors shall fall therein. Turn with me please. And we sing together again. Would you please stand with me. And we sing number 1046. 1046. Our help, we bless His name, whose love forever is the same, the tokens of whose gracious care begin and crown and close the Amid ten thousand snares we stand, supported by his guardian hand, and see when we reveal our ways, ten thousand monuments of praise. <coughs> Has led us on. Thus far we make his mercy known. And while we tread this desert land, through mercy shall new songs demand. Our grateful Shall raise one sacred pillar more, then bear in his bright boards above inscriptions of He never blinks. He never blinks. New Year's thoughts. We are, each one of us, by our very constitution, we are creatures of time. This is the inviolable reality. And as such, we learn almost from infancy. We learn to mark our time. Even the tiniest children in this congregation develop a means 
to mark times. We mark its passage and its seasons. This is our lot as creatures. And in the business of marking time, surely that which is most prominent and solemn is that which we mark today in these closing hours of 2023 and the dawning of 2024, which is now only a few hours away. That is, as we mark this eve of the new year, we are surely marking the most prominent and solemn of the markings of time. So very much has been written in the centuries of time. And uh, so very much might I bring to you this morning in worthwhile quotes from all those volumes that have been written. A sample, by the way, of such quotes concerning the passing of time is even on the back of your bulletin this morning. I wrote the words of Thomas Pettigrew in 1857 who said, Time corrodes our epithets and buries even our tombstones in oblivion. Many's the graveyard I've gone to and looked at gravestones that time has so defaced I can't even make out the words. Pettigrew said, time buries even our tombstones. Quotes abound and meditations swell in pensive reflections on this theme of time. For example, another worthy author has said, time is but a pause, an interlude between two eternities. <laughs> Quotations might be attended ad infinitum, on and on and on. And I confess personally that the study of time and its relationship to space and matter has been a subject of keen interest for me most of my life, especially as it re relates to eternity, which is another ocean in which our finite minds are quickly drowned. But this morning, it is not to the fascinating contemplation of time as a subject, nor even to the study of eternity as a mere academic exercise in cranial sports that I would set our hearts for this special day. But rather, it is to that subject which the scripture teaches us has occupied 
every thought of our eternal God both in time and in eternity. I say without fear of rebuttal that our God has for all eternity had his mind on one subject above others, one supreme interest for which all of time exists to satisfy. I mean, of course, he has been fixed on his own glory in his covenant people. (laughs) In short, his church. We could do nothing better in time this morning than to entertain that which has entertained our God for all eternity. Clearly, clearly did the psalmist say in that blessed and inexhaustible 40th chapter in verse 5, the psalmist said, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts, thy thoughts, thy thoughts, which are to us. How long are God's thoughts? Well, they're as long as God. They're eternal. They cannot be reckoned up, said the psalmist, in order unto thee, If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered the thoughts of my God toward his people. What an incredible description. Oh, that would be a blessed subject for us to entertain. The subject that has occupied our God for all eternity. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. (laughs) Oh yes. Does he not speak to us in that glorious symbolism Regarding his thoughts of us in Exodus chapter 28 and verse 29. Does he not speak when he says in that symbolism, And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth into the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continue. Thou shalt put in the breastplate the judgment of Urim and Thummim, and thou and they shall be unto upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. God says, I will have all of time to be occupied with that which holds my interest, my people, my people. Isaiah chapter 49. Did the prophet not speak to us 
in verse 15 and say, Can a woman forget her suckling child? She should not have compassion on the son of her womb. Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee? Behold, listen, verse 16, Behold, I've graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Hallelujah. Oh, surely this is the object. Surely this is the object of our God's undistracted attention. Amen. Isaiah, I mean Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Talking about this church, he said that he gave himself for it. Verse 25, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. He has spent his eternity in this subject. He has delighted to view it. He sent his Christ to to acquire it and to achieve it, and the Holy Spirit works it in us. I'm telling you, this has been the object of our God's undistracted attention. His church. Oh, can I just, can I just take you again back to the pews in that ancient sanctuary and have you listen again to the blessed prophet Jeremiah when he declares in the word of God in these terms he said in chapter 31 and verse 3 the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying yea I've loved thee with an everlasting love therefore have I drawn thee oh he says again I'll build thee and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and thou shalt go and go forth, shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. And there shall be a day that the watchman upon the mount of Ephraim shall cry, Rise ye, and let us go up to Zion. Unto the Lord our God, for thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, say, O Lord, which save thy people, the remnant of Israel, behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coasts of the earth, and with them, and the blind, and the lame, and the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child, together a great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I'll cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Oh, the Lord, verse 3, shall appear to the old saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I was loving you before time. Before the world was created, I was loving you. Hallelujah. 
we could do no better in time than to occupy the thing that's on God's mind. His church. Oh, I could go on and on this morning showing you from one text and then another what it is that has occupied the undistracted. I keep using that word. The undistracted attention of our God from all eternity and certainly in the confines of time. He has been occupied with His own glory in the body of His covenant people. (laughs) Whoa, Christ church. Christ church. That glorious gift, it's called in John chapter 6 and verse 37, it's said to be a gift that the Father has given to His Son. John 6, 37. Oh, it is that holy pearl for which a man would sell all that he has to possess it. Matthew 13 and verse 46. And can I just say to you, the Father did. He gave all that he had. His own son. To possess it. Oh, it's called that pearl. That pearl. That pearl for which a man will sell all that he has to possess it. It's called that treasure in chapter 13 verse 44. That treasure worth more than all other things put together. Oh, this is that for which time is ever made servant to eternity. So then, this morning, what does our text, what does our text in Deuteronomy chapter 11 tell us about this pearl? What does it tell us about this treasure? What does it tell us about this church? Number one, I give you that in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it tells us of its guarantee of perpetuity. Hey, hey, it's guarantee of perpetuity. Deuteronomy chapter 11, look at verse 12 again. And the land which the Lord thy God careth for. Listen. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year even to the end of the year his eyes are always on it. <laughs> that word always, always. Oh, listen now. <clears throat> Christ is the builder of this church and therefore it cannot fail. 
I say to you this morning and I testify from the volumes of history beginning with the sacred page and going through the all of time I testify to you that every power at hell's disposal has exhausted its every resource in every age and through every mechanism known to man since time began it has exhausted itself to try to destroy God's plan and annihilate God's people with no more success than a tiny ocean ripplet can crash against a mountain wall dashing itself against an ancient cliff of stoneworks and effect any change. Everything through time has sought to destroy it without the least success. It's guaranteed perpetuity. Oh, says our text in verse 12, the land which the Lord thy God careth for, the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. He never blinks. He never blinks. He's always looking on it. And that guarantees its perpetuity. <laughs> oh, how could it be otherwise since before time he has held it in the bosom of his sovereign purposes? How could it fail in time when from all eternity he has held it in his bosom? Oh, says the blessed B.M. Palmer. What a glorious pastor. What a glorious preacher. B.M. Palmer said, Every structure has its origin in the conception of an architect. It exists in thought before it's rendered in stone. The image, too, exists not in vague outline as the shadow that's cast on the ground, but in the minuteness of all of its parts as these are combined into a perfect whole. The stones in its foundation, every beam and timber in its frame, the pins and sockets by which these are secured, every nail driven into its walls, the chambers and halls into which it is, its space is divided, every window which admits light, and every lattice which excludes the glare, the moldings and the carvings upon the panels, the frescoes and the ceiling, the capitals that adorn the columns, all the details and their total effect lie within the designer's thoughts. Just as a landscape with its exquisite but diminished proportions lies in the camera of an artist, so distinct indeed and so perfect is the image in the mind that its diagram is readily thrown upon the treadle board. Section by section, the interior arrangements and external proportions are figured to the eye, the front elevation, 
reveals the countenance of the whole until step by step the conception is wrought by cunning workmen into the concrete reality of iron, wood, and stone. Preciously so, preciously so, the church exists as an eternal thought in the mind of God. His purpose is that intelligent creatures shall be brought into just association as are realized in the church below. And shall there be a train? And shall there be trained under the discipline of His grace to render the service and worship which are consummated in the church above? But whether here or there, She's viewed only in Christ Jesus, her glorious Lord. Oh, blessed Palmer. Oh, he said, as every pen and nail is in the mind of the architect, God has eternally borne every part of his church in his heart. Hallelujah. Oh, this perfect house of God is as certain of eternal perpetuity as is the eternal God in whom she has always existed. Can I say that again? Just so you get it good this time. This perfect house of God is as certain of eternal perpetuity as is the eternal God in whom she has always existed. Whoa, hallelujah. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year to the end of it, his eyes are on it. Oh, could I just condense it all? All of this point into one single verse for you? If I could, I'd choose this verse, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you, that's his people, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed perpetuity. Whoa, hallelujah. Every force of hell has tried to destroy it without any effect. Can I tell you today, he'll never look away. He didn't blink in 2023. And he will not blink in 2024. Guaranteed. Perpetuity. Again, Blessed Palmer so beautifully preaches. He said, what is the universe? What is the universe but one vast word by which deity is revealed? He said, the idea of revelation underlies that of creation itself, which is but the means to an end. The divine being infinitely happy in the consciousness of his own perfections. Now listen, listen what he's saying. He's, he's going to help us understand time and put it in perspective with eternity. 
the divine being infinitely happy in the consciousness of his own perfections would behold them in the reflection of a mirror. And thus he created. Heaven and earth are peopled with intelligent races before whom is spread the panorama of the universe upon every part of whose frame is stamped the evidence of his eternal power and Godhead. His glory is gathered back and the praise of the creature becomes the echo of the creator's own joy. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> the praise of the creatures are nothing but an echo of his own joy. He's magnifying himself. He has been eternally occupied with it in creating this mirror that will just reflect back to him his own glory in which he's perfectly content. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, his church can never fail as long as his eternal advocacy is sustained. Oh, how well did Stephen Charnock tell us this somewhere in the mid-1600s. He said, we have at this present moment, we have an advocate actually remembering us and presenting us to his Father. We in this age, we in all ages, till the dissolution of the world, without any faintness in the degrees of his intercession, without any interruption in time, he never ceases the exercise of this office so far as is agreeable to the high and elevated state that he is. As there are continual, continual sins of believers in all ages of the world, so there are constant pleas to the advocate. He is always in the presence of his Father, in the dignity of his person, in the fullness of his merits, continually spreading every part of his meritorious sacrifice in the view of God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, she's guaranteed perpetuity. Because we've got an everlasting advocate that never ceases, never ceases to appear in his every part, said, said Charnock, to appear in every part of his meritorious sacrifice, spreading every part of it, continually in the view of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. She's guaranteed perpetuity. Charnock said, and since his own sacrifice for sins offered on earth was sufficient, he hath nothing to do perpetually in heaven but to sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice upon the mercy seat. Glory be his name. 
He's never out of the presence of God. And the infiniteness of His compassions may hinder us from imagining a silence in Him when any occasion accusations are brought in against us. The accusations might succeed well were He out of the way. (laughs) But being always present, He's always active in His solicitation. No clamor can come against us, but He hears it as being on the right hand of the Father and He appears as an attorney there in the presence of God to answer it as the high priest appeared in the Holy of Holies for all of His people for all of eternity. Can I tell you, can I tell you again, in 2024, whatever else may happen, whatever else in God's providence may unfold, I'm telling you, God has guaranteed the perpetuity of the love of His heart, which is His people. Guaranteed her perpetuity. The Lord thy God, the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. He never blinks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He never blinks. Oh, we may begin this next year with this bold confidence anchored in the rock of ages that our God will not only maintain His church's perpetuity, but he will guard her purity. Number two I give to you this morning. Our text reveals to us this morning the guardianship of its purity. It tells us in verse 12 the guarantee of its perpetuity. But now Secondly, it tells us of his guardianship of its purity. Verse 18 of our text, our chapter says, Therefore shall ye lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes and ye shall teach your children speaking to them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way when thou liest down and when thou risest up, speak to the children, he said, write them on the doorposts of thine house and upon thine gates that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear to your fathers to give it to them as the days, listen, of heaven upon earth. Well, that'd be a great sermon title. Heaven upon earth. How do we get there? Oh, it's easy. Write these words. Write them on your house. Write them on the wall. Write them on the hearts of your children. Keep it before them all the time. Talk about them. Talk about them. Talk about them. When you sleep, when you go to bed, when you get up, when you're walking in the public place or in the house, talk about them. Talk about them. It'll be a heaven on earth. He said in verse 22, For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to cleave unto Him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations. Oh, He's going to care for them. And listen again. 
Listen again what he said in Hosea chapter 14. Verse 4. I'll heal their backsliding. I'll love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I'll be as a dew upon Israel. He will grow as a lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. Oh, his branches will spread and his beauty shall be in the olive tree and he'll smell like Lebanon. Oh, hallelujah. Can I just say to you again, our text teaches us of his guardianship of its purity. We may begin this next year with this bold confidence anchored in the rock of ages that our God will, will only, will not only maintain his church's perpetuity, but will guard her purity. All the scriptures abound with guarantees and pledges of his divine refinery by which he keeps her pure forever. Oh, said the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 48 of that prophecy. Prophet Isaiah in chapter 48 said in verse 9, For my name's sake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, verse 11, for mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. The Lord has committed himself. He will refine his church. Not as silver, I'm not refining you the way the refiner does silver. I'm refining you by affliction. And I will. I will. I will do it. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9. The prophet said simply, said simply this. Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 9. I will bring the third part through the fire and I will refine them as silver is refined and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Hallelujah. He's not only guaranteed their perpetuity, but in our text in Deuteronomy 11. Oh, the guardianship of our purity. It has been for all eternity the purpose of our God to present to himself a bride adorned in all the beauty of Christ's likeness 
And of this he has secured to himself a guarantee. Oh, he said, write these things. Write these things. Write them on your children. Write them on your house. Write them on your heart. I will refine and preserve my people pure. John saw it, didn't he? Remember that? (laughs) John saw it in its culmination in Revelation and chapter 21. John saw it. Verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Oh, she's been working. She's been working this day. That's a blessed day, isn't it? A wedding day when things are right, hearts are right. Isn't that a blessed day? And oh, that dear bride, what she pours in it. All that work. What's she been doing? She's getting ready for this. Getting ready for this. Pour the work in it. John said, I saw, I looked up, and I saw. There she was. Coming down now. The Lord has done all the preparation work. He's adorned her. Thing of beauty. He'll guarantee her purity. Yes, He will. Paul spoke of it in Romans chapter 9. But I'll listen to the Apostle as he speaks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, He's going to guarantee her purity. He's going to form her and change her until she looks exactly like his son. (laughs) Oh yes, we know that throughout the ages, the enemy of our souls has sought to spoil and contaminate God's church through every imaginable device of corruption, but it will not be. He has guaranteed her purity. Here it is again. I give it to you one last time. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Gave himself for it. Verse 27 that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish I meditated on that phrase some in preparation this message without blemish I sometimes become impatient because I'm a man I'm frail and human when my wife makes 
things, dresses for little girls, scarves she knits, things she makes, everything she makes. She holds it up and all she can see is what was not right. I see it and it looks perfect, but she sees it and it's not. And all she seems to be able to talk about is what's not right. Some one little tiny loop, some little thread, some little something. But oh, the blessed Lord was holding us up one day. God himself will look on it. He won't see a single blemish. Nothing. Nothing wrong with it. He's perfect. He's guaranteed. He's guaranteed his perfection. Oh, in that perpetuity which he has guaranteed himself, she will be robed in garments white without a single flaw. Ezekiel 14, 9 through 13. For sake of time, I'm already late. I won't read it. Ezekiel 14 verse 9 through 13. He's promised. He's promised old Israel through Ezekiel. I'll have her perfect. May you bear this truth always in your heart from the very first hour of 2024 that our God will perfect His work in you. But now quickly, let me give you one more truth from this text by which we may weigh time in the balances of eternity. We will not only, he will not only take his church in time and guarantee its perpetuity. He will not only guard its purity. But finally this morning in 2024, as always, he will secure her glorification in perfection. Look at verse 10 again. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it. It's not like the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. Oh, I could just pause right there and preach for an hour. This land where I'm going, it's not like the land where I came from. Hallelujah. Oh, he said, it's not like the land of Egypt. Because down there, when you sowed your seed, you watered it with your foot like a little garden of herbs. All you had was a little, a little space, a little space of ground, a little garden. That's all you had. You had to water that by hand. Oh, and if if some blight came or any kind of problem arose and it wiped out your your little crop, you had nothing because it was so small and you just you just didn't have much of a garden. But our God says, listen to the land where I'm taking you. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that little plot of ground where you had nothing but a garden of herbs. Oh, but the land, whether you go to possess it 
It's a land of hills and valleys and drinks in water from the heavens. Hallelujah. It's a land which the Lord our God cares for. Oh, it'll come to pass. You hearken to my words, he said. Verse 14, I'll give you, I'll give you a land in its due season. The first thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and I'll send grass in the fields for your cattle, and you'll eat, and you'll be full. Hallelujah. I'm bringing you into a big land, and it's a land of abundance. It ain't like that little garden spot where you came from. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, I'll secure the glorification of its perfection. Oh, he has guaranteed to himself. He has guaranteed to himself by an eternal covenant within the Godhead that she will bear luscious fruits in the delectable gardens forever. <laughs> Amen. Oh, there's no danger. She'll fall of it, fail of it. Verse 10, he says, the land whither thou goest in to possess it. Verse 11, he says, the land whither ye go. Verse 12, he says, the land which the Lord thy God Care for. This is his object. Oh, blessed be God for the land of glorified perfection to which we are going. Oh, how long would you like for me to ponder it this morning? I don't have any time left. But you could ponder it if you wanted to ponder the perfection of this glorified land, I could invite you this morning to John chapter 14. Oh, let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. <laughs> if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I'll come again. I'll receive you to myself. Where I am, there you may be also. Oh, how very many. I won't take the time. But if you wanted to contemplate this place, Revelation chapter 4, after this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was, was as it were a trumpet talking with me, said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which thou must that must be here after. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He that sat on was to look upon like a jasper and a sapphire stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and the seats were four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were lamps burning in the throne, the throne before the throne. And on and on he says the sea was like that of glass. And all these beasts are flying around in verse 8 full of eyes. 
They don't rest day or night crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is to come. And all the beasts gave thanks to him that sat on the throne. Oh, blessed, I could go on this morning, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, chapter 21, verse 22 through chapter 22, verse 5, all talking about the glory of this place. Hey, it ain't like that little garden where I came from. It ain't like Egypt. Oh, this is a glorious land. This is a glorious land. He's guaranteed its glorified perfection. What a glory will fill our souls at last when even death, that last enemy, is conquered and we rest beside the river in peace forever. Psalmist said in chapter 16 and verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there's pleasures evermore. Hallelujah. Oh. <laughs> Our text speaks to us of the glorified perfection. Listen if you will. Open. Bear with me and listen to B.M. Palmer comparing this most excellent worship here below, comparing even the most excellent worship here below with that above. B.M. Palmer quotes Owens. <clears throat> you see, it's not just me that quotes great men. Great men quote great men. Palmer quotes Owens who said, Mosaical worship, as celebrated in Solomon's temple, outdid all the glory and splendor that ever the world in any place, in any age, from the foundation of it, ever enjoyed. How glorious was it when the house of Solomon stood in its greatest order and beauty, all overlaid with gold. Thousands of priests and Levites ministering in their orders with all the solemn musical instruments that David found out. And the great congregation assembled of hundreds of thousands all singing praises to God. What a glory. Let any man in his thoughts a little compare the greatest, most solemn, pompous, and costly worship that any of the sons of men have in these latter days invented and brought to the Christian church with this of the Judaical. Take the cathedral of Peter, he says, in Rome. Bring in the Pope and all his cardinals and all their vestments, all their ornaments, fill their choir with the best singers they can get. Set out and adorn their images and pictures to the utmost that their treasures and superstitions will reach to. And then compare it with Solomon's temple and the worship thereof. And he shall quickly find that it holds no proportion with it. That it is all a toy, a thing of naught in comparison of it. And yet, yet, that's the end of quote. From Owens, Palmer picks up and says, And yet, this splendid 
pompous, costly ritual. After all, it was but a veil which Moses put over his face, which the Spirit of the Lord has taken away, <laughs> that we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord may be changed into the same image from glory to glory. Oh, he says, put it all together. Brother Jacob and Sister Faith recently went down and heard Handel's Messiah Oh, what a glorious thing that always is. How moving, how stirring. Oh, can I just tell you, it's a toy. It's ludicrous in comparison to what this worship will be. Glorified perfection. Hallelujah. Oh, then we'll sing. Hallelujah. There will be a true hallelujah chorus. Oh, listen. Listen to the beloved tinker of Bedford. Describe it. When he starts to enter in to this glorified perfection. He said the talk that they had with the shining ones was was about the glory of the place. <laughs> there, said they, is Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. You are going now, said they, to the paradise of God wherein you shall see the tree of life and eat of the never-fading fruits thereof. And when you come there, you shall have white robes given you and your walk and talk shall be every day with the King, even all the days of eternity. There you shall not see again such things as you saw when you were in the lower region upon the earth, namely sorrow, sickness, affliction, Death, for the former things are passed away. Oh, says the shining one to the pilgrim, you're going now to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the prophets, men that God had taken away from the evil to come and that are now resting upon their beds, each one walking in righteousness. And the men then ask, what must we do in this holy place? To whom it was answered, you must there receive the comfort of all your toil and have joy for all your sorrow. You must reap what you've sown, even the fruit of all your prayers and tears, suffering for the king. By the way, in that place you must wear crowns of gold and enjoy the perpetual sight and vision of the Holy One. For there you shall see him as he is. Oh, the glory of perfection. He's guaranteed, and this text points our hearts, He's guaranteed to us the glory of perfection. Oh, the prophet said, prophet said in Isaiah chapter 35, 
Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. And the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out. And streams of the desert alimate. And the parched ground shall become a pool. And the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons. Where each day shall be grass with reeds and and a highway shall be there and a way shall be called the way of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it but it shall be for those the wayfaring men the fools shall not err therein hallelujah well I'm just telling you he's guaranteed it glorifies perfection just for your notes, Isaiah 52, verse 9 and 10 describe the same scene. And I close with the words of a poet whose words were pressed from a heart of anguish to pray this prayer. Holy Zion, bright and fair, how our hearts are longing there. There the Lamb once crucified sits in splendor glorified. Sits in blood-stained robes arrayed. All our debts by Him sure paid. Bound by flesh we here are fettered, worn and weary, bruised and weathered. Call us, Lord. And bid us rise to that mansion midst the skies. Never here again to roam. Take us, Lord. Oh, take us home. Take us, Lord. Oh, take us home. Surely, this will be our constant voice as we set our feet afresh in the path of a new year. In just a few hours in 2024. What great, what great contemplations of time when we entertain what has occupied God's thoughts for eternity. His people. Turn with me again in your hymn book, please. Stand with me. Sing number 1051. 1051. Standing and singing. Sing that mighty 